In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey, Carla, I know that we, uh, we've we got to record this episode now, but I was wondering if we could maybe set up a date night sometime soon. Okay. I think you know what I mean when I say a date night, like, like maybe a little Netflix and chill, you know? Okay. Maybe, uh, you know, a little cuddling on the couch. All I know right. it's COVID times, things are a little crazy, but uh, do you, sorry, do you see that woman that's... Uh, what woman? Okay. Okay. Good. Good. That's good to know because she's she's right there in our apartment. I don't see a woman. You don't see a woman? No. Okay. I really would like to move up this date night ASAP. Craig, did you sleep with someone else recently? What? <laughs> what? Why would you say that? Did you get an STD ghost woman from somebody else? I don't know why you would make that leap that I would get an STD ghost woman. You really don't see her. I don't see her. Oh, God. Um, can we record outside? <laughs> <laughs> the real ghost is Benny, who is on the couch looking for that pillow to fuck. Uh, <laughs> we've moved it. We've it's moved not there. It. He seems upset. But uh, you don't often drop the F word. Um, fuck. Yeah. I think I've said it once or twice on this podcast. Okay. I include a a strong language warning. You do. Yes. Cool. Yeah. We lost our family-based listeners early on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all adults here. I hope so. <laughs> Hello, Craig's listeners. Carla, we're getting close to the end of October. We are. I can't believe we really stuck it out. I can't believe I've stuck it out. I believed you would have stuck it out. Sure. But I would have believed that I would have dropped out by now. 31 horror movies in 31 days? Easy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's been easy, but we were doing it. It was like really fun and easy. And then there was a dip where it was kind of hard and annoying. But now we're back to fun and easy again. So I think I can ride this till the end of October. What was the hard part? Um, Like almost exactly halfway through. It just started to feel like. A chore. Yeah. But, I mean, we're on pace to put out 11 episodes of this podcast in a month. That's crazy. And we didn't put out 11 in a year (laughs) (laughs) for the last year. So, uh, say what you will, America, but when we take on a project... We go for it. We go for it the second time around. The right. first time around, we, we didn't we are totally lazy deliver we, yeah, on that. We put it off. But the second time around, we nail it. Yeah. We did finish Craigslist. We did. And we wanted to keep it going for one extra bonus month. They're so bored right now. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I want to figure out what our next project is. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> America, we're going to do a month 
of Thanksgiving movies. I feel like you just asked me out in front of a bunch of people, and I'm like, I don't want to say yes. <laughs> Keep your options open. I understand. We're going to start with Home for the Holidays, and then we're going to do uh, Planes, Trades, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah. That Is, counts. That's a Thanksgiving movie? Yep. Okay. And then... Why are you making stuff up right now? <laughs> this isn't happening. <laughs> chicken run? Are there turkeys in chicken run? I, I have no okay. idea. All right. Uh, yeah, th- this is probably going to be it for a while, but uh, but it's been really fun doing this month. And for this episode, we're covering some... What are we calling them, Carla? Spooky times movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all spooky times movies. But this episode in particular, we're doing... Oh. Modern classics. Modern horror classics? Modern horror classics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we chose, or I chose, I think, three three movies from the last five years that we thought feel are worthy additions to the canon. Well, two out of three of them were on my list, too. Okay. Two of them you'd seen. One of them I've been trying to get you to see for a while. I'm yeah. curious to see what impact, if any, it had on you. He's found another pillow. This is <laughs> this is amazing. So I think the sound of us on like recording a podcast gets our dog horny. <laughs> Craig's listeners, let us know. Does that have that effect on you, <laughs> or is it only <laughs> like he literally never does this unless we're no. recording? Is I it, don't understand. Is it just to mess with us? I think he's trying to get our attention. Yeah. And it's working. He has it. He has our attention. So much that we've abandoned the format of the podcast to to address it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that... <laughs> like to, we have a format. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a format. Uh, and I, I think when I say modern horror classics, you know... I'm not, as I explained on the first episode, I'm not really a hardcore genre guy. So I kind of dabble in a lot of different things that have maybe crossed over into critically appraised, you know, in, in some way. Uh, I'm certainly an Oscar guy. I gravitate to more prestige movies. So I'm curious for people who are more like hardcore horror heads, what are the movies over the last Hmm. five or ten years that are maybe a little under the radar that that you would include in in the canon and they might be more like hardcore examples of the genre meaning they're more gory or disturbing yeah <laughs> than we have really been seeking out but i'm i'm still curious as to what is out there but i feel like these movies all crossed over into if not wide acceptance then at least wide awareness of their Mm-hmm. existence. Yeah. And so the movies we're going to talk about today are from 2017, directed by Jordan Peele, Get Out. Yep. From 2014, directed by David Robert Mitchell, It Follows. Mm-hmm. And from 2019, directed by Ari Aster, Midsummer. Yes. Those are the ones we watched. We did. We did All watch three. those three movies. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that, though, Carlos. So. Right, right. No, I know. <laughs> And I think all three directors are definitely very talented directors who are just kind of starting their careers, and I'm excited to see what they come up with next. I think they have various degrees of success with what they're they've been trying to do mm-hmm. thus far, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Carla, do, do you feel that these three movies are worthy of inclusion as modern horror classics? For sure. Yeah. Oh, cool. 
I mean, well, I said two out of three of them are on my list. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of these we've addressed a little bit in our year-end episodes on Craigslist. Certainly when Get Out came out, it was all over our top ten list yeah. and our performances list mm-hmm. as well. I forget exactly – you singled out – the woman who plays the housekeeper it was one of your top ten performances, I think. And I think you had probably had Daniel Kaluuya in there as, yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. And I certainly did. Um, Midsummer, I think I had definitely had in my top ten for the year. And I had Florence Pugh in my top five performances. It follows, I think I had more like number 20 for its year. Um I think it, it's it does some things incredibly well, but maybe doesn't pull it all together right. in the way that these other two movies do. But I, I think because it has such an amazing premise and such some unsettling images and moods in it, it's a movie that's kind of like sunk into my spine mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit and mm-hmm. is hard to shake, you know? Yeah, it has some good jumps too. Jump scares. Definitely. And one of the things we do at the beginning of each of these episodes is I kind of ask you, you know, what's scary to you about the particular thing if we're doing witches or vampires or or what have you. Because these don't have really anything in common other than being recent. Uh, I'm just curious as to scary-wise, horror-wise, what uh, what about these three movies for you? We'll talk about kind of their quality as movies later, but in terms of scares, how would you rate them? Um, what about them scares me, you mean? If anything. I think with Get Out, the idea of somebody hypnotizing you and taking over your, your will, your personality. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're being, it's almost like a, an invasion of the body snatchers kind of movie. We, we've talked about various categories for different films as we've been kind of organizing this month. And at one point you proposed doing a body snatching trilogy and including Get Out in that, which I think would be apropos. Yeah. So that's what scares me about that one. Also <laughs> just how um, insidious white people can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's. Yeah, it's just a really scary movie, I think. I think one of Jordan Peele's goals for it was that it's not about obvious racists. It's more of the, as you said, insidious ways that white people commit acts of racism. And so having this ostensibly liberal and ally family turning out to be the most evil people on earth. uh, They would have voted for Obama a third time. That's right. Um, and then for It Follows, I mean, It Follows, it kind of has the same scary vibe that Nightmare on Elm Street has for me, where it's like, you can't really go to sleep ever. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it's attacking them in their dreams, but like, you have to be awake all the time to be aware of, you know, the, the things and the people around you. The idea of the kids banding together to fight the, uh, the it, the entity, yeah. uh, is very similar to the kids banding together to fight Freddy and Nightmare. Yes. And then Midsummer, I didn't find that scary, honestly. I didn't think you did. That's That was what was interesting about it to me. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess – I don't know. I, I found it more disturbing than scary. And I, th- I think so. And I think when everything's in the light – I mean, other than the beginning of the movie, the entire movie takes place during eternal daylight for the most part. Right. 
that definitely, you know, there's nobody hiding in, in the dark. There's a couple jump scares. There's some certainly very gross and graphic parts. Um, but it, it has kind of a shining vibe for me where it's kind of like an unsettling tone for two yeah. and a half hours. I would agree with that. Rhythmically, certainly Ari Aster feels very indebted to both Kubrick and Polanski, uh, to me in mm. kind of like that, that cold and slow moving and kind of like distant camera kind of studying, you know, it feels very Kubrickian. Yeah, I can see that. To me. If there is a common thread that I was able to find in these three, it kind of feels like they're all about relationships that aren't what you think they are. Oh, yeah. Because Daniel Kaluuya is betrayed by who he thought was his girlfriend, Allison Williams, mm-hmm. and Get Out. We're going to spoil the shit out of these movies, by oh, the yeah, way. Oh, yeah. Please know that. They're, they're all fairly recent. So because they're modern them. horror classics, you have seen these already. <laughs> or you've already decided you will never see them. Uh and it follows uh who's the main girl in that? I can I don't remember. Jay, uh played by Micah Monroe, uh thinks she's in a new relationship with this dude at the beginning of the movie. It turns out he's only using her to pass on uh, this STD ghost woman. This STD ghost woman. <laughs> well, it takes many forms, including a little boy and a giant tall man. Right. Uh onto her. And then, well, a few relationships in, in Midsummer. Midsummer feels very relationship driven mm-hmm. to me. So you have Danny and Christian, who are the central couple, who are, to me, like that quintessential couple in their 20s that just should break up and, you know, should have broken up two years ago. Right. Yeah. But circumstances are just kind of keeping them together. And then they make the mistake of going on a trip together when they already should not be in this relationship. And then Pella, their Swedish friend, certainly is not on the level with the relationship they thought they had with him. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah. uh, that's the common thread I was able to find. That's in these, great. In these movies. Uh, well, let's jump into it a little bit. And we'll start with Get Out. And we'll do a little segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. You were so excited. I am excited. <laughs> I really like all three of these movies. It's so cute. Uh, Get Out was the feature debut of Jordan Peele, of Key and Peele fame, uh, who's done the improv community proud. <laughs> he sure has. <laughs> uh, I knew him in Chicago around 20 years ago, and certainly not surprised with all the success that he's had, but like the degree to which he's kicking ass is... Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think he's made two masterpieces. Yeah. I really liked Us a lot, too. We considered adding Us, but we only had rewatched it pretty recently, just a couple months ago, and yeah. it felt like maybe too soon to revisit that. Mm-hmm. For Us, uh, I almost like Us slightly more. Or I, I think Us is a more complicated movie mm-hmm. in, in some ways, but they're both just terrific. I think for me... Not that we have to compare the two because they're different things, but I feel like Us, I would watch more, but Get Out is almost a perfect film, I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Daniel Kaluuya plays a a young black man in this. He has a white girlfriend and he's going uh, home with her to meet her parents for the first time. And they live in a very isolated house. Never go to an isolated house. Yeah. (laughs) 
this if movie, there's one thing we learned this month. This movie was <laughs> shot in Alabama, the same state where Gerald's Game was shot. So definitely don't go into an isolated house in Alabama. Although I suspect that this is actually... I, I think he's in New York, according to the movie, right? I thought that they were, yeah, driving to upstate New York. Yeah, somewhere in upstate. But there's nowhere in upstate that is that isolated, right? I, no, I have no idea. I haven't spent much time in upstate New York. <laughs> well, you should get there. Get to Albany. I know a lot. <laughs> there's a little community in Albany that I know will take good care of no, you if you. you're cool with getting branded. No, thank you. Uh this movie was widely acclaimed. It it received nominations for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and it won for Best Screenplay for Jordan Peele. Uh, I think Daniel Kaluuya probably should have won Best Actor over Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Oh, for sure. But I think just being recognized for a horror performance, if there's one common thread in the horror movies that we've really enjoyed this month, I think... We've seen just some – there's some really good acting in horror movies that I think doesn't get enough credit because it's kind of a, a, a genre that's considered maybe a little trashier. Yeah. But uh, to me, like a great horror movie doesn't really work without somebody giving a great performance in it. And certainly Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie, as we mentioned, were nominated for Carrie. But then you have other performances, like all-time performances, like Anthony Perkins in Psycho was not nominated, mm. you know. Uh, but I, I think – he give it's just such a difficult job that he has in this movie, and he just delivers uh, across the board. Yeah. Um, a quote from Jordan Peele that I thought was interesting is he says the rhythm of horror is similar to comedy, hmm. so that's how he was able to kind of make that transition easily because there is something about kind of. Setting up patterns, the rhythm of editing as well. Mm. Surprise is kind of endemic to both forms. Yeah. And this is a movie that very much blurs genres. Like, it's a thriller. It's kind of a satirical comedy. Uh, and I think it's definitely a horror movie. Yeah. To me. I would agree. Even though there's not a really a supernatural element to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... This movie made $255 million on a $4 million budget, by the way. Um, and it was partially inspired by an old Eddie Murphy joke on horror movies, <laughs> like from one of his like 80s comedy specials, where like Eddie Murphy's like, why are white people not leaving these houses in these horror movies? As soon as a voice says, get out, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, baby, we got to go. <laughs> so I, I think. Part of what this does is uh, it is kind of like a nice satirical take on the role of black people in horror movies yeah. historically because the Lil Rel Howery part in it, Rod, his best friend from the TSA, mm-hmm. he also like he has the most paranoid take on everything and he's absolutely right, <laughs> right. in terms of everything that's going to happen to Daniel Kaluuya's character. And then the opening, which is uh, Lakeith Stanfield, is kind of lost in this suburban, you know, landscape. Typically, that would be like a blonde girl, right, in the cold open. Yeah. You know, in the, in the traditional horror movie. And uh, he gets caught and, and dumped in a trunk, you know. I think we're finding that a good cold open is kind mm-hmm. of essential to, to, to introducing a good horror film. the tone of a, of a horror movie. 
And then the first real scare in the movie after that cold open is when they're driving to the house and then they hit a deer. Yeah. <laughs> and Carla had to get up and leave for a while. And uh, she said, don't stop it. I remember <laughs> when they hit the deer. You did not. Uh, I thought I remembered the deer being killed. But uh, the idea is that Chris watches it and he can't harm it. Right. Right. The, like it paralyzes him. Yeah. Uh, and we find out later why, why, yeah. because his mother had been hit and, and killed by a car. Like there's all this just wonderful kind of backstory subtly, mm-hmm. you know, woven through throughout the movie. Uh, and then that first scene with, with a cop, uh, is trying to like kind of like get Chris's ID and, and everything mm-hmm. and kind of giving him a hard time. Uh, and Allison Williams seems like she's standing up for him like she's an ally. Yeah. Somebody explained to me that, like, if the cop had, like, checked their IDs or whatever, it would have left a paper trail or, or whatever. So it's a good way for her character to make sure oh. that she has no connection to him. to him when he turns up missing later. Um, And I just let this movie just kind of gets right to it you know there's a little bit of setup and then they're right there in the house with the parents and the servants which mm-hmm. is you know the, the heart of the movie Carla said oh yeah Catherine Keener is such a creep in this <laughs> so just perfect casting all around Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener play her parents and the uh, the brother is Caleb Landry Jones who's kind of creepy in a, in a different way what else way. has he been in um, he's in a lot of indie Movies. Uh, oh, he was in Three Billboards. Oh, okay. Uh, that's probably what you remember seeing him in. And he was Banshee in X-Men First Class. Okay. As well. <laughs> uh, and then, like, other creepy white people show up later. Steven Root is a blind art dealer. Yeah. He takes an interest in Chris, who's a photographer. Uh, and supposedly he has an amazing eye for art, despite not being able to see. Yeah. But he'd love to be able to see again. Uh, but especially, you know, the, the thing that really kind of sets the tone are the creepy housekeeper and the creepy gardener Mm -hmm. who are black and we don't quite know what's going on with them, with them. And they talk in a really stilted way. And they smile a lot. To Chris. Yes. They smile a lot. At inappropriate times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the thing that is going on with the brother character is like microaggressions, right? Yeah. Um, which is a word I only learned this year. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> that is in itself a microaggression of sorts. Yes. Uh, I guess <laughs> that I, it took me that long to, to learn it. But I mean, it does something similar that I think Lovecraft Country does, which is kind of like make the everyday black experience into horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he has to deal with, being the one of only two black people at this gigantic party and everybody kind of giving him like these backhanded compliments, you know, and kind of making race awkwardly a part of the conversation. Right. Uh, I mean, that must be something that, that people have to go through all the time. Yeah. But uh, I don't know that it's ever been depicted, you know, that way on, on the big screen. Right. Yeah. That part where he, um, tries to talk to the one other black person that he sees and, you know, he's like trying to just connect to him as like the only other black person at the party Yeah, is so like, I mean, we've never had, we've never experienced that before 
And it's just awful. And you see how he code switches or tries to a little bit, you know, when talking with black people or who he thinks are black people. Right. <laughs> as opposed to the, the family. Uh, you mentioned the gardener. Uh, and you said, could he be any creepier? <laughs> oh, boy. I was a, coming off of Friends. You've been watch. watching a lot of Friends <laughs> lately. but The uh, whitest thing <laughs> right before seeing this great movie. <laughs> of course, Matthew Perry starred in uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip with Brad Whitford. So that was that's also it, the, that's uh, it. That, that was that's also the, connection. the reference. Um, and then... I love the scene when he goes upstairs during the party and then suddenly all the people at the party go quiet. Yeah. Uh, and Carla said, holy shit, that's so creepy. Yeah, it's such a good moment. You just watched the original Stepford Wives recently, didn't you? I watched some of it. Which I have never seen any version of it, but Jordan said that that was a major influence. I can uh, see that, yeah. On, on the tone of this movie, I guess. Especially with the way that the... Um, the black maid and gardener are behaving. I don't remember their names. What are their names again? Well, they're grandma and grandpa. We yeah. find out yeah, they, later. Anyways, Georgina and Walter. Yes. So the way that they're smiling, um, is so, yeah, I can see that as being from the step for wives. This recently showed up on a, uh, a list that I thought was pretty great in the, uh, the ringer of best movie twists of all time. Mm. Number one, spoilers, was Luke, I am your father. <laughs> it seems like a good choice, but I guess the twist in this is, is especially that Allison Williams has betrayed him. Yeah. Right? It's awful. It's so sad. But the reveal in visuals of him looking through these Polaroids of all the other people that she's conned. Yeah. Including Georgina, right? Right. And Walter. Yeah. Is that, that's such a great way of, of doing it. Yes. It's so smart. And even then, you maybe suspect that, you know, how, how much of a role does she have in this as opposed to her parents? But like, does, her, is her mom hypnotizing her? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Allison Williams has said that people, uh, when they want to talk with her about the movie, always say, like, so your mom is hypnotizing you, right? You had to do it. And it's always white people who say that. Oh. <laughs> uh, but to see that she's totally evil and totally in control of, uh, of what she's doing is like. That moment on the stairs where she turns from crying about not being able to find her keys. And then, like, just having her keys in her hand and her just looking at him and, like, I can't let you go or whatever. Yeah. And then the way that he reacts to that, like, you can feel his heartbreak. It's so good. So what's happening is that Catherine Keener is hypnotizing him and then they're going to steal his body and they're going to inject Stephen Root's soul, yeah. mind yeah. in there. I'm not totally sure how it works. It doesn't matter. Behold the coagula. That's all that, that's all that I know. Uh, but his friend Rod, who's house-sitting for him with a really adorable dog, uh, is is on to him. I like that uh, – these are some of the – obviously, Lil Rel is the comedic relief of the movie, which is kind of much needed because the tone is so intense yeah. throughout. Uh, but he goes to try to convince the authorities and nobody believes him. <laughs> 
<laughs> Carlos said, makes me so nervous. Like I just feel like I'm on the edge. I think this is when he's uh, tied to the chair yeah. at the end. You know, he has to watch the video explaining what's happening to him. I also feel like a Rosemary's Baby connection there, mm-hmm. you know, where obviously of like your your significant other has betrayed you and has like a secret plan for your body mm-hmm. the entire time. Um and then there's a I think the dad's name is Roman too, which would be a little uh, nod to to Rosemary's baby. Um and then uh he kills the shit out of the brother with a bocce ball. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> he impales Brad Whitford on the uh antlers. Deserved it. Carlos said amazing. And then well it says right here, I mean they deserve it. That's a Carlos <laughs> quote. She's listening to I've had the time of my life and drinking milk. I have to tell you, this is, I mean, there's so many incredible shots in this film, but this is the one that hits me (laughs) so hard when all this awful stuff is happening to him in the basement and Jordan Peele cuts to upstairs and Allison Williams is listening to Dirty Dancing, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack as she's looking for her next boyfriend that she's going to con Yeah, and she's eating a... uh, what are they called? Fruit Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops with her hand. They're dry in the in the bowl, and yeah. then she picks up her glass of milk <laughs> and drinks the milk. It's like the most white girl. It's like so on point, <laughs> and like all my white fragility <laughs> makes me like, oh god, it's so true. Like this is you see me. This is such a white woman thing to do. You see me for the monster <laughs> I am. <laughs> But I think that's where his comedic instincts to to cross cut at that moment, yeah, you know, so good. really serve the movie and kind of like the tonal shifting, you know, th- throughout the movie really is part of what makes it a classic. Yeah, I think. Um, and then it's just a bloodbath at the end. He chokes her. Carla said, "It's so good." <laughs> <laughs> and then, like the idea of after he's, you know, finally defeated this evil family that's been trying to, you know, steal his body. Um, we see a, a siren go on and the yeah. cops show up. So the original ending that oh God. Jordan Peele wrote, uh, it says, Chris is arrested by the police after strangling Rose. Instead of rescuing Chris, Rod meets him in jail and asks him for information about the Armitage family to investigate. But Chris insists that he stopped them and everything is fine. Peel intended this inning to reflect the realities of racism. By the time production had begun, however, several high-profile police shootings of black people had made discussion, in Peel's words, more woke. After gauging reception at test screens, he decided the film needed a happy ending, but felt a moment where the audience believes Chris is about to be arrested would preserve the intended reaction. Yeah, it And it does. does. Mm-hmm. And this is the third time I've seen this movie, and I still, like, my heart stops a little bit when I yeah. see, like, that police siren go on. But no, it's Rod... And he's T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> and then they drive off uh, into the sunrise, maybe? Yeah. It's a great ending. It's a really great ending. I mean, I can see why that original ending would be effective. But I do think he's right that after we've seen this guy go through so much, it's really nice to have that. We talked about this in the Stephen King episode, too, which is like, get, give him a victory. Yeah. Here. I need some hope at the end there. Yeah. I mean, and he still does get his point across with the with the cop stuff at the end, for sure. We've had the full range of movies we've picked of the most bleak 
endings possible. Yeah. We'll get into that in zombies a little bit, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then movies that feel like uh, leave you a little more satisfied and, and glad that, that a character got out. Right. He got out. He get he get out? He he get out. He get out. And, <laughs> and then he got out. Any final thoughts on this movie, Carla? No, I think it's great. I'm glad that we rewatched it. So then we checked out It Follows, which we saw together on the big screen when it came out. Yep. I think we saw it the Los Feliz 3 right here in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, I had already seen David Robert Mitchell's first movie, uh, indie movie, which is The Myth of the American Sleepover. I have too. I love that movie. Had you seen it before It Follows? Yeah. You think? Yeah. So it's a kind of a very, very like typical indie debut, I think, of kind of like non-actors or unknown actors, all like teens on the last night of summer, I think, right. you know, similar to kind of a Richard Linklater feel. And it just kind of goes around and, you know, shows all the relationships there. He kind of did something interesting in that movie, which is like made the time a little fuzzy, which is, I think nobody has a cell phone in it. I thought he did that in this one too. He did. Yeah. Deliberately. Uh, I guess none of the cars are from any more recently than the 90s. Okay. There, there is one moment where a girl has like this little, uh, clamshell. Like a cell phone. E-reader. Yeah. Like she's reading Dostoevsky on it. Yeah. Or, or something. So like that's only the, that's the only like advanced technology that we really see. All the televisions are like old tube televisions. Mm-hmm. They're only watching old media in it as well. And it says the time frame of the movie is intentionally kept ambiguous so that it resembles a dream. Hmm. I also think he's not quite my age. I think he's somewhere between my age and yours. And mm-hmm. I think he just remembers his childhood <laughs> and like identifies with that more. And yeah. of course, also with horror movies, it's the central conceit of, of a horror movie in the year 2020 is like you have to account for cell phones somehow. Right. I know it's been the case for 20 years now, obviously, but right. you know, that they, they need to be incorporated into the story somehow. Uh, so the premise of this, uh, I think we kind of teased it in our opener, but, uh, you you got to have sex with someone to pass on this curse of being pursued by this constant malevolent entity that follows you everywhere and just kind of like center of the frame is walking straight towards you no matter what. So yeah. it's a great premise and it's a great visualization of the premise. And it kills you when it catches up. It kills you. It. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't just tickle you or, or say right. mean things about you. But if you give it to somebody else, then it removes it one from you. And as long as that person stays alive. Yeah. Then you're okay. The mechanics of that maybe get a little convoluted. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of how, how that would absolutely work. This has another great cold open, I think. Yes. Uh, which I believe is all one shot, uh, especially of the, the girl kind of like getting, she's running out of this very kind of suburban nice house, uh, into like an all American street, but she's wearing like high heels and, lingerie kind of yeah uh and uh, but then she drives out to the lake and then we see her dead and in a really graphic image like her leg is bent backwards carla said jesus christ i'd be so pissed if a spirit did that to my legs 
I think it's so scary because um, there there's that moment when her neighbor sees her running and then her dad comes out to check on her. So it's like, it's that scary thing to me of like, everybody around you thinks everything is fine. Yeah. And you're the only one who knows that you're about to die. Yeah. Even when her friends help her out later, she's the only one actually seeing the spirit. Yeah. Too. Uh, here's another quote from David Robert Mitchell. I'm not personally that interested in where it comes from. To me, it's dream logic in the sense that they're in a nightmare. And when you're in a nightmare, there's no solving the nightmare, even if you try to solve it. Uh, Mitchell said that while Jay opens herself up to danger through sex, sex is the only way which she can free herself from that danger. We're all here for a limited amount of time. We can't escape our mortality, but love and sex are two ways in which we can at least temporarily push death away. Hmm. Uh, but because there's a lot of ambiguity in this movie, a lot of people can read whatever they want into the premise, right? right? Is it about, you know, HIV or sexually transmitted diseases? We considered including this in our meta horror episode, which is coming up, because mm-hmm. I, I think it does kind of like play on so many horror tropes, including the the old trope that we covered in slasher films, like if you have sex, you'll die. Right. <laughs> right? right. Um. But also kind of building on the ring, right? Of like, you got to pass on the curse to the to the yeah. next person. <laughs> uh, so Micah Monroe is our lead here. Uh, she is Jay, which I guess was a nod to Jamie Lee Curtis. Whole movie was shot in Detroit and the suburbs of Detroit. Mm. And there's even a little line about crossing 8 Mile, right? Which is the, the division between the, the suburbs and the city. I don't remember, but I believe you. A little bit of an Eminem reference, too. That classic movie theater that they go to looks really cool. It reminded me of maybe my favorite theater, which is the Baghdad in, in Portland. Mm-hmm. But it's just like one of those classic, gigantic movie palaces, you know. They And they were going to see Charade. They were going to see a great Audrey Hepburn, <laughs> Cary Grant movie. But, Strange uh, choice. But people, uh, people slowly walking at you in the background somehow becomes the scariest thing yeah. in this movie. Uh, apparently, George Romero and John Carpenter were big influences on uh, the making of this movie. And there's definitely a synth score that sounds like a John Carpenter it score. It does, yeah. It kind of sounded like Stranger Things to me. Yeah, which is definitely a John Carpenter homage. Uh, so she goes on a date with this guy that she barely knows and has sex with him in the car. Carla said this was such a huge mistake. And then he chloroforms her. Carla said, oh, no good. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, what's happening? Is he going to kill her? No, he's just warning her. And he kind of gives her the rules of the thing. It's such a great, uh, terrifying way to give us the exposition of the film. Which is he ties her to this wheelchair. He takes her up on this abandoned like construction site, and he's basically gonna wait there with her until she sees the the monster or whatever, so that he can explain everything. And then it takes on the form of a naked woman. But you don't realize that's what he's doing until he's yeah. like you think he's gonna kill her or something awful. Oh yeah, it's such a clever, scary way to do that. Uh, Carla said it's actually helpful to fold laundry during a scary movie. Oh, yeah. I was folding laundry. (laughs) (laughs) So I think if you get scared, find a repetitive task to do. Yes. Get your body engaged in in some other way and maybe your mind will be distracted. Now, she also has a sweet friend, Paul, who's like her childhood best friend who has a crush on her. 
and uh, he volunteers to stay with her once she's she's kind of freaked out by what's happening. Carla said, "Eager Beaver." <laughs> and then you said, "It's just like a nightmare on Elm Street." Yeah, because he uh, lives across the street, right? Or no, a different guy lives across the street. He lives nearby. Yeah, that, that's for sure. So over the course of the movie, the the entity takes on several. Uh, bodies mm-hmm. or several images. Which one did you find the scariest? I think the little boy when he climbed into the shed was really scary. There's also the like the peeing girl in shorts. Yeah, they explained that peeing thing later, didn't they? I don't know. But I think the scary one for me is the tall man. The tall man, yeah. Who is literally, they found a guy who's seven foot seven. Amazing. To do that. Yeah. And so, like, she's, like, locked in her room. Like, her friends want to come in. She opens the door. Oh, thank God. It's just the friends. And then the fucking entity in the form of the seven foot seven man yeah, comes in. right in. Oh, it's, it's so scary. It's really scary. Carla said, it's sweet how kids like to help each other. We should do a, a genre of kids helping each other out in horror movies. <laughs> I do love that. Like the kids from it, like you were saying, were like, hey, let's figure this out together. (laughs) It's so fun. One of uh, David Robert Mitchell's strengths as a director is like the use of 360 panning, Mm -hmm. you know? So it feels like that's something that's going on constantly in this movie is panning back and forth to like look for the, the entity. And then you like, you start like searching the background of the frame of like, is it there? Uh, uh, is it just a regular person or is right. it actually the the entity? There are so many times when that happens when you're like, oh, that's the per- that's the entity back there, but it's not. But then it is. But then you don't know. <laughs> Here's Carla on the various actors playing the entity. The casting call for this was like, submit your creepiest clients. It's a non-speaking role. <laughs> <sighs> Why does he want to show boobs in all these shots? Like, it's always a left boob. It is. That was a pattern, which was a woman, whenever he showed a woman as the entity, her left boot was hanging out. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's there's a hidden meaning in that. No, I think he was just creating a pattern and he likes boobs. <laughs> Even the mom. Yeah. Let's normalize breasts. Let's normalize breasts. <laughs> the adults are kind of in the background for this. It's almost like a Charlie Brown episode, right? You, there yeah. are a couple of parents and teachers but you don't really see them or or get to know them it's kid centric which feels you know again like an homage to horror that's how his first film was too yeah and then he did under the silver lake which was a gigantic clusterfuck although (laughs) an interesting gigantic clusterfuck um does this movie lose its mojo a little bit in the back half it does for me i'm still glad we rewatched it um i think it's really interesting but I don't like the idea of like them tr- them f- being like well, this is how we're going to kill the thing, and then them failing, and then it just ending. Mm-hmm. Like, don't introduce the concept of they're going to try to kill it. Then, do you know what I mean? Like, let's just see them learn to live with it or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh... I, I apparently that was his idea where it's almost like a Scooby Doo kind of thing of like it's a bad idea to think that they're trying to do, mm-hmm. you know? But it does feel a little bit like a like a switch and bait. Yeah, or just kind of like a letdown, like the idea wasn't fully realized. Yeah. 
Carla said, yeah, that's right. The ending's not great. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten. (laughs) She also said, teen sex is so sexy, makes vomit noise. (laughs) Here's a quote from Quentin Tarantino on this movie. Uh, He said, it had the best premise I'd seen in a horror film in a long, long time, but it's one of those movies that's so good that you start getting mad at it for not being great. Yeah, I can see that. And I can say there's also a few Quentin Tarantino movies that are like that, too. Do you think What's-His-Face, the director, said that to Quentin? (laughs) Yeah. That was his response. Yeah. Hey, Quentin, how about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, (laughs) every movie that you've made since Pulp Fiction? Um, But I I think that is kind of true. Like, there are some movies that are, like, so promising Mm -hmm. that they're almost you know rather than a movie that's kind of mediocre all the way through right they're almost more infuriating than than movies that's totally what i'm trying to say yeah you and quentin said it better than i did (laughs) it just wasn't fully it wasn't a fully formed idea by the end he said uh the movie keeps on doing things like that not holding on to the rules that it sets up like okay you can shoot the bad guys in the head but that just works for 10 seconds and then all of a sudden the things are aggressive and they're picking up appliances and throwing them at people now they're strategizing that's never been part of it before i don't buy that the thing is getting clever when they lower him into the pool they're not clever right quentin tarantino's saying <laughs> yes. this quentin he has got a lot of opinions about this <laughs> Well, I mean, the guy has opinions on movies, that, that's for <laughs> sure. It also occurred to me, and this is probably true of Midsummer as well, this is very much art house horror. Yeah, for sure. Right? I mean, all of his films are like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's maybe, I'm maybe in the Venn diagram that likes a good horror movie, but it also if it has some like art house trappings. Yeah. A little bit. Um, I could see if you're more of like, you want chills and thrills and scares and gore. This movie might not totally deliver mm-hmm. for you on, on all that. But it definitely like gets under my skin. Yeah. I would watch it again and just remember that I didn't love the ending next time. So you would start the movie knowing you didn't love the ending. Correct. <laughs> and then uh, just be prepared for that or you would be surprised all over again that you didn't love the ending? I mean, I would want to be prepared, but I'd probably be surprised. Okay. Should we watch it every Halloween? We could. Okay. I think I think that's the third time I've seen it. It was only the second for me, so just the first time. It was on Netflix for a while. Yeah. Or one of the streaming services. We had to rent it this time. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to the third and final movie yeah. for today? Okay, cool. So uh, this movie came out last year, directed by Ari Aster, uh, a new horror director who wants to make horror movies and is very committed to it. Uh, he did Hereditary, which, see it. which was a somewhat divisive movie. I think this movie was maybe even more divisive. Carla, are we divided on Midsummer? Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I hate it. Uh, no, no. I, I think it's really great. I saw this movie. I was working in Richmond, Virginia last summer on the new Walking Dead series for one week. Humble brag. Um, and uh, zombies. Zombies, right? yeah. Um, and I, so I was in Richmond with nothing to do. And I went to see this movie at like two o'clock on a Wednesday in Richmond, and it was weirdly packed. 
Mm-hmm. And this movie wasn't, I mean, it did well, like it made back its budget and, you know, uh, turned a nice profit worldwide, but it wasn't like a huge hit in America or anything. It was just so weird that as multiplex in Richmond, uh, everybody was seeing Midsummer. Remember when you could go to a movie theater? That was nice. Yeah. That was nice. I went back for more popcorn midway through this movie too. Wow. Refilled, refilled the old popcorn. I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing ever again. <laughs> uh, but, this movie, I mean, was, was scary, was creepy. I think Florence Pugh is maybe my favorite new actress. I've seen nearly everything that she's done, mm-hmm. and I, I just think she's great. And I also find this movie very funny, too. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm in the minority there, but I think there's some black comedy definitely baked into it yeah. a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit of a culture clash movie, too. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... Ugly Americans who find themselves in this, you know, isolated Swedish town trying to adhere to the customs there and not doing very well with it. And the Scandinavians are more like polite and friendly, but also like there's maybe like a little passive aggressiveness. Right. There. And then you see the degree to which their different ideas on culture are, are different in horrible ways. Yeah. And like I said, I think it also nails that kind of like bad relationship in your 20s. And I think all the relationships between Christian and his various grad student friends are very well drawn as also like Danny being the fifth wheel within this group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you had been told the plot of Hereditary from start to finish. <laughs> right. Because I said I didn't. I was at a party and I said I would never go see it. And so the guy just told me about it. i thought it was eliza right no okay um it was a guy really just a friend who was this guy (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so yeah so you find out and and so you'll never see that i will never see hereditary (laughs) i do not need any of that in my mind I saw Hereditary and I thought, I don't know if I like this movie and I'm maybe even a little angry at it, but I think this director is a a new great auteur. And you love Tony Collette. That was your favorite performance, wasn't it? She's it's my still my favorite Tony Collette performance ever, which is high praise because I always think she's great. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically uh, just a movie about a family dealing with a tragedy. It's almost, for most of it, it's more drama than horror. And then it goes off the rails in just a crazy nutballs way that either, you know, is an incredible ending or makes you <laughs> walk out of the theater in Furious. perplexed anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Midsummer maybe is a similar arc. I will say on the last podcast, I was talking about how people were messaging me about Adam's family values and how much they loved it. I probably had just as many messages about Midsummer with people either loving it or being like, I walked out of the theater or as I left the theater, my friend and I were talking about how much we hated this movie. Yeah. So Ari Aster is doing something. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. He's creating something powerful that people are having visceral reactions to. Uh. He says his next horror movie is going to be four hours long. Oh, my God. <laughs> in. I am all That's in. That's ridiculous. <laughs> these, <laughs> these dumb directors. Nobody wants to watch your four-hour movie. Uh. 
Apparently the opening mural uh, that you see, you know, for like five seconds in the opening credits tells the entire story of the uh, the movie. If if you look at it. The o- in the opening credits? Yeah. I don't remember at all. <laughs> there, there's like a mural that's like one of these like woven things that they would do in the village. Okay. You know? And because later when the newbies are kind of going around the, the village and they, they come across uh, Connie and Simon – who are the other outsiders from London, uh, see this tapestry that shows a woman falling in love with a man, placing flowers under his pillow, and then hiding her pubic hair in his food. I saw which is, that. Which yeah. is all stuff that happens in, yeah. in the movie. So there's an opening tapestry that has the plot of the movie. Oh, okay. In it. Um, there's a quote, a breakup movie dressed in the clothes of a folk horror film. That must be from Ari Aster. So it's basically, for him, it's a breakup movie. Yeah, he said that he had just gone through a breakup. I read about this. Why did I read about this? I don't know why. What did you learn? <laughs> just that he said he had just gone through a breakup, and so it was inspired by, like, a relationship coming to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... The beginning of the movie, Danny is she has a uh, a mentally disturbed bipolar sister. She's getting like texts from her. She's worried. I guess she lives with their parents in some other city. She's worried about them, and then finds out that her sister has killed uh, her parents and herself in a murder suicide. And we also kind of see Christian and his friends. He wants to break up with her, but now she's had this horrible tragedy happen in her life and he can't. So they're kind of stuck together. He's supposed to take this trip to Sweden with all of his buddies. He doesn't tell her about it. You know, he's kind of gaslighting her, mm-hmm. uh, the whole time, but she, mm-hmm. she kind of insists on tagging along and, and, and does. So the, the plot of the movie is kind of set into motion. Um, when they have the shot of the parents in bed, Carla said, are they dead? And I said, I think they might be, Carla. Because <laughs> I, I know this is a horror movie. Um, and Carla, at one point during that conversation with Christian, started singing the Dixie Chicks song, Gaslighter. <laughs> when we really see her being the fifth wheel among all these dudes, Carla said, I feel like I've been this girl. <laughs> Where it's so clear that none of the guys want her there. Yeah. And she's just like, but this is my boyfriend and I'm just hanging out. I mean, it's it's really well drawn. Like, yeah. it's it's an identical time in our lives, yeah. I think. And Pella, their Swedish friend, he says, uh, I'm from a small community. And, uh, and Carla said, here, welcome to my cult. <laughs> Uh, when, when you see Florence Pugh breaking down, uh, in the airport bathroom, Carla said, Oh brother, she is not a well person. I've done this in an airplane bathroom for not as good of a reason though. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that true? Supposedly when we fly, like our emotions get activated a little bit because of what's going on physiologically with Mm -hmm. us, you know, we're more susceptible to tears, I guess. There's an incredible shot of, their car in Sweden, and then it goes upside down. We follow the car upside down for a while. Yeah, it's cool. The cinematographer, by the way, is named Pavel Pogorzelski, and he also did Hereditary, and he's doing the new Anna Lily Amarpour, who we covered of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So oh, he's, wow. he's working with her. So definitely a cinematographer to watch. 
<laughs> like definitely a cinematographer. He's definitely, there's no doubt that he is a cinematographer. <laughs> um, maybe more quotes for this than the, uh, the other two movies. Uh, <laughs> Carla said, what else did he do? I said, hereditary. And Carla said, oh, fuck, that's right. That's why I didn't want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly why I didn't want to see this movie when it came out. Because I knew it was the guy who did hereditary. Yeah. I was like, I am not going to put myself through that. You looked away during some of the gore that I warned you about or you anticipated. But but again, like when we watched this kind of late at night too. Yeah. Uh, this movie did not creep you out or keep you up at night. It did not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what does that mean about me? <laughs> <laughs> that you want to be the May cults? Queen. <laughs> you want to be the May Queen. You can stomach cults pretty easily. <clears throat> When they get to the village, there's a bunch of people playing like pan pipes and there's like constant pipe music for a while. Carlos said enough of that. <laughs> I wonder how this movie has done for Swedish tourism, by the way. <laughs> I bet it's increased it. <laughs> With- it definitely increased the sales of those white dresses, whatever. I know there's a certain name for that style of dress. Yeah. Peasant dress. Peasant dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was a big Halloween costume last year was yeah. either either that or Florence Pugh with the May crown, with the flower crown and the flower That's dress. That's a great idea for a Halloween costume. Where would we wear it this year, though? Where would we wear it? <laughs> but I think just like uh, the Timberline having people wanting to stay in room 237, I bet everybody's <laughs> going to this. Although the whole movie was shot in Hungary, by the way. Oh, really? So. <laughs> it's a real region of Sweden, but they did not shoot there. Um Will Poulter, who's kind of the smart-ass friend Mark, apparently mm-hmm. you can tell a lot of his laugh lines he's not on camera for. Like you kind of hear him in the background. Apparently they dubbed in jokes of his just to kind of lighten up the mood oh, yeah. a little bit. Carla said, that guy's such an asshole. <laughs> but as you know about assholes in horror movies. They die. They die good. They did. Um, <laughs> well, I guess a lot of these quotes are some variation on what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> when we saw the mural with the pube, that was well, that was one of them. That was one of the what the fuck moments for Carla. Um, at one moment, Pele is kind of going through the uh, the different the different stages of life in the village of like, uh, yeah, the first you know the first eighteen years of your life, and then you turn thirty six, and you turn fifty four, uh, and then they said, what happens at seventy two? And Carla said, they kill you. <laughs> And sure enough, there's two elder members of the village, um, and they're marching them to the top of this mountain. Carla said, is something upsetting about to happen? (laughs) 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 And then they jump off the mountain to their death. It was awful. Except the guy doesn't die immediately, and they pound the shit out of him with a giant mallet. It's terrible. Carla said, got to be a better way to do this, right? Yeah, just, like, give them some poison or something. One recurring creepy thing that I like throughout this movie is that all of the villagers kind of make emotional sound along with whatever people are feeling. So as he's writhing in agony and dying, they're all kind of, like, rolling around on the ground and moaning. Yeah. Uh, And it's just like an improv class, right? It is. (laughs) We've done a lot of emotional mirroring in improv classes. (laughs) I want to know how he got the bodies to look so real when they hit the rock. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I, obviously they're dummies, but like a really well done dummy. Yeah. They look so real. Um, 
I like all the little bit of foreshadowing when uh, Pele is telling her, uh, you know, he's like, you know, I lost my parents too. Yeah. <laughs> they burned in a fire. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we, we kind of find out the context of that later. Oh, is he saying that his parents were burned alive? Yes. Why? I guess they were volunteers. But this is every 90 years. I, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe his parents were, <laughs> were 90 years older than him. I don't know. Okay. Um, there's a dream sequence at one point that Carla totally called. She said, this must be a dream. It was, we we're like three seconds into it. <laughs> She's seen enough horror movies. Uh, Carla said, they're killing the black guy before they kill the annoying guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but, that's not fair. But they don't. They actually do kill. They had killed the annoying guy already. We just didn't know it. And then one of the villagers shows up wearing a, a mask of his face oh, that they that they have cut off. It's horrifying. I do coming out coming off of Get Out. It was kind of a weird shift to then see what's this actor's name from The Good William Place? Jackson Harper. He's Cheaty from The Good Place. He's so yeah. great. But he is the only black person in this whole thing, surrounded by white people, and there's no real attention paid to that. Which yeah. seemed like a missed opportunity, maybe, to give his character a chance to, I don't know. Apparently, the director's cut is about a half hour longer. Oh um, if you want to check that out sometime. No, thank you. <laughs> but in particular, the thing that they develop more is the rivalry between the various grad students to mm. document the town. Yeah. And so I bet there's more stuff for him to there. there. Yeah. That's when his whole character made sense to even be there, was when he... Was yeah when he was upset that his friend was going to do the same subject that he was doing his thesis on, yeah. And then he has a great scene, but I was just like, oh, this is the only thing he gets to do. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Uh, he is such a great actor, though, that I feel like I'm not worried for him. You know, like I feel like even if his character is not featured, I feel like he knows why his character is there, right? Or whatever, like he's present, yeah, the whole time. I love when she's hallucinating, you know, her feet kind of like grow into the ground yeah. a little bit. And she becomes one with the earth. Her feet looked a little like Mitch McConnell's there. Ooh. How, how, when have you seen Mitch McConnell's feet? I, I, I'm sorry I brought it up, but I don't want to ever talk about it again. <laughs> I'm extrapolating based on Mitch McConnell's hands what, oh, his, okay. what his feet probably look like. <laughs> Carla said, oh, no, they're going to set the bear on fire. <laughs> um, that is one of the funny lines in the movie, which is, uh, are we just not going to talk about the bear? <laughs> in this cage right here. Yeah, and then they, they pan by to, to reveal the uh, the bear. Um, I mean, part of what the, what makes this movie fun for me is, like, all the Swedish actors are so deadpan. Yeah. You know? Um, and then when he meets with the village elder, she's like, how do you feel about Maya? Uh, you have been approved to mate with her. And the, here's the funniest line in the movie when he says, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. <laughs> <laughs> and then Florence Pugh does this whole village ritual of this maypole dance where they're like knocking each other down and everything to yeah. like win the, win the May Queen. Carla said, this might be fun if there were no men involved, if it was just women dancing. There's always some weird sex thing when men are involved. <laughs> and oh boy, is there a weird sex thing? Yeah. Although it's mostly women that right. are involved. There's one man involved. Um, and so Christian, uh, is kind of seduced by this teenage girl and then has this graphic 
sex scene with all the nude women in the village kind of moaning and groaning along with them. Yeah. But it's like the elders, right? Yeah. But younger women, too. Younger women, too. Yeah. And kind of pushing his butt, you know, to, to make sure. <laughs> to make sure that he is completing the task. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at that point, like, I think, I mean, I'm probably this movie has several, well, I hate to call them in or out moments. So that's more of an in and, in and out moment. Uh, but like, I'm sure that was a what the fuck moment for many people, but I'm, I was just willing to go the crazy places that this movie goes. Sure you were. <laughs> Carlos said, oh, I feel kind of bad for him. <laughs> and uh, is it just me or is that food breathing? So they have like some sort of gross giant hunk of meat at the table. And I think because she's like on hallucinogens, we see it kind of like breathing yeah. in and out. It's really disturbing. It is. Um, Carlos said, oh, no, she can have sex with him and then eat his face or something <laughs> on the naked ladies. This is so weird. There's no way that these women would have shaved pussies. <laughs> <laughs> there should be so much bushy bush on every one of those vaginas. Okay. So let's talk about this. Okay. How the fuck am I supposed to buy this cult if all of these women have been trimmed and waxed? Uh-huh. That- you think there's not a Brazilian specialist in the village? <laughs> there's no way that all of those women... In a cult, living in the middle of wherever, in the woods, mm-hmm. uh, have bushes that are trimmed in that. Okay. In that so that area. was the deal breaker for you? That was the moment where I was like, I don't know if I can buy any of this. <laughs> and it's weird. It is weird. And for me, it was Thing, who is just a hand being able to operate a car. <laughs> we all have our moments. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I mean, we don't know what all of their <laughs> rituals are, you know. Maybe they have a, a you know, a night every month where they all get together in a circle <laughs> and shave each other. We don't know that. That's maybe that maybe is in the director's cut. All right. Here's also Carla on the chorus of women. Some of them are more committed than others. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you had got this part, you would have been fully committed. <laughs> it's true, though. Some of them were just like. Uh. <laughs> and others are really going for it. Yeah. And then Danny uh, is told not to, like, intervene. But she goes in, takes a peek at what's happening. She's horrified by seeing her boyfriend uh in this sex ritual yeah and then the great scene where she goes back to her cabin and is breaking down and all the like uh handmaids of the may queen are like uh making all of her crying sounds along with her and carla said this is a herald opening for sure (laughs) improv improv reference if you don't get it improv uh soon the herald will be a non reference because nobody will be doing it oh (laughs) and it turns out that uh for the 90th every 90 years they got to sacrifice nine human lives so all of uh all of danny's friends uh the the three guys that they brought the couple from uh london 
the uh, the old folks that we already see get smashed to death at the mallet, and then two volunteers, which are younger guys from the village, and I kind of love that like they're they're given like a, a sedative or whatever. They're told it's going to be peaceful as they burn alive, and as the flames hit them, they they start screaming. Yeah, and you can see that they're like, oh no, this was the wrong idea. Uh. And then all of the village, of course, makes their sounds along with them. Uh, I wrote down a note. Carla wants a midsummer face mask for COVID times. What does that mean? Well, I don't know if that means you want you want Mark's face. No. Or, um, <laughs> maybe you want maybe you want a lot of flowers. Or Carla wants a co- a, a midsummer mask for COVID times. What does that mean? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know, but uh, forget about it because it's going to be your Christmas present. You won't remember it at all. Carla said this was not the trip to Sweden they were hoping for. <laughs> then she said, can you imagine shooting this and then going straight into Little Women? Which is what she did. I think she literally wrapped Midsummer, flew to Massachusetts or wherever, yeah. and worked Little Women the next day. Yeah, because we saw that Q&A with her last year, and she said that. <laughs> yeah, after we saw Little Women for the second time, we saw a talk back with Greta Gerwig, Saoirse Ronan, and Florence Pugh, which mm-hmm. was awesome. That's also why we're calling the movie Midsummer, by the way, rather than Midsommar, as I've heard some people say, because Florence Pugh called it Midsummer, and if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for me. <laughs> uh, here's Carla's final thoughts. Cults are so weird, man. And then also, I mean, everyone who died in that kind of deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) Carla? Well, what were your thoughts on Midsummer overall? Um, I liked it. Yeah. I wasn't scared. I did think that everybody who died, there was kind of a good reason. Um, she's also like going through trauma, so you can't get so mad at her. And she survives in the end. She's the last girl. Yeah. And she becomes part of this new community. <laughs> <laughs> she makes new friends. I don't think I'd ever watch it again. Uh-huh. Maybe. I don't know. There were some images that were really haunting and memorable, but I loved watching them dance around the May flag. <laughs> Is that what it was called? The Maypole? The Maypole. Sure. That's the highlight for you? Yeah. I thought that yeah. was so cool and watching her like as the drugs were kind of taking effect um it felt a little long definitely it's long and and slow in parts though always i i find it the kind of slow that's kind of mesmerizing your mileage may vary yeah i i wasn't bored though and i was really invested in her and her relationships yeah she's a great actress yeah she really is okay i liked it what would you give it i would give it a b plus nice I would yeah. give it an A minus. Okay. It follows. I would give a B. I'll give a B plus. Okay. And get out. I would give an A to an A plus. The only reason I'm not giving it an A plus is because I don't think it. It's not a movie I want to watch a lot, but I do think it's a perfect film. <laughs> Flat out A for me as well. Yeah, like everything pays off. Everything that's set up pays off in a satisfying way, and that's why I would give it an A. I agree. To an A+. Plus. Well done, Jordan Peele. 
You've won the director off of these three <laughs> talented young directors making modern horror classics. Carla, you want to do a little khaki theater? Sure. Um, I mean, I know this is a recurring thing for me, but I'm always curious, at, like, going back to school after, <laughs> after this. Because, like, for uh, Pele, uh, you know, can they trace him? Do they, I mean, like, people yeah. know where he's from, right? Does the school not have, like, uh, right. <laughs> contact information for him? I mean, the, probably the village elders is his emergency contact, right, at the school. Yeah. <laughs> and all these people went off and just got killed. And, like, how is that going to be explained? So um, I think he uh, I think he turns back up at grad school the next year and maybe has an awkward conversation with somebody. Okay. Hey, Pele. Great to see you. Hey, Lindsay. Good to see you. Wow, you look tan. Oh, thank you. I got a lot of sun, like 24 hours of sun for, oh, right. for nine yeah. days. You were going to yeah. go back to Sweden, right? Yeah, yeah. I went back to my village. Um, it was very nice to get back. Oh, yeah. And all of your friends went with you, too. Yeah, that's right. Mark and Christian and uh, and Danny Yeah. and uh, Chidi. <laughs> I have such a crush on Chidi. He's great. He is ripped too. Hey, I mean, he... have you seen his apps? Yeah. Could could, I, could you give me his phone number? Oh boy, I don't know if he has a phone number per se. What do you mean? Um. Well, I I think he decided to stay there in Sweden and gave up his phone. So really, yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Can I show you pictures of my village? I would love to see pictures of your village. Yeah, this is what it's like. It's very pretty. Oh, my God. What is that in the background? Is that a... I'll pay no attention to the bear. Is that a bear walking towards the frame? Yeah. yeah. It's just walking in slow-mo right in the center <laughs> of the frame. Uh, don't look at this mural either because that's going to tell you exactly what happens <laughs> in the in the village. I'm sorry. Is that a, is that a shaved vagina? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Because I don't know if you have a Brazilian guy that you see. I don't mean somebody from Brazil. I mean a guy who does Brazilian waxes. Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. How, do you like them? They're okay. Okay. Well, see, in our village, the women get together once a month and shave each other's pubes. <laughs> I can never go to that village. I'm super not interested in that. Really? You got to come. Please. <laughs> I should have made it that she was interested in that. Why did I say no to that? Carla, no second thoughts on the (laughs) improv scenes. We could have done so much more if I had said yes. Every choice is perfect. Carla, thank you for talking about modern horror classics with me. That was a good one. Um, We had to deal with Benny the entire time. Uh, he's such a punk. Yeah, man. Um, but let's move on to a new theme. What do you think we should cover next? Well, we got to do it before the 31st. So we got to get into zombies. I've put it off for for as long as possible. It's time for zombies, people. Uh, yeah. Why, why do you have misgivings about doing zombies? I think zombies are maybe the scariest genre for me. Oh, really? Yeah. For me, it depends because you got fast zombies, you got, Slow zombies, you got worldwide pandemic and destruction, or you got zombies only happening in a local area kind of way, you know? It it is a genre that's been, especially since Walking Dead, it feels like it's really exploded Mm -hmm. as a genre. 
But I feel like we picked three really good ones. Me too. In that we picked a real old school one. Mm-hmm. We picked a comedy one. Mm-hmm. And we picked one that was recommended to us that we had never seen and that, spoilers, that we really dug. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> brains, <laughs> brains, zombies are next. I was a slow zombie. Yeah, thank there. God. So we'll see you on another Craigslist spooky time. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.